On April 12, 1963, while Martin Luther King was in the Birmingham jail because of his desegregation demonstrations, eight prominent Alabama clergymen published a statement in the local newspapers urging blacks to withdraw their support for Martin Luther King and his demonstrations. Although they were in basic agreement with King that segregation should end, they accused King of being an outsider, of using extreme measures, that King's demonstrations were unwise and untimely, and that the racial issue should be instead properly pursued in the courts. Four days later, King wrote his letter from the Birmingham jail in reply. April 16th, 1963. My dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticisms that crossed my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such correspondence in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I would like to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. C.C.J. Carpenter, Joseph Alicius Durick, Milton Grafman, Paul Hardin, Nolan Bailey Harmon, George Murray, Edward Ramage, and Earl Stallings. These are the eight clergymen that had an open proclamation for Martin. And, and Dr. King, his response as we begin to see the starting of the letter here. Let me, let me just say real quick before we get into this teaching today. These were good men. All eight of those. These were good, good men. Good clergymen. Uh, seven pastors and one rabbi. They were good men, men like, like I would hope myself, men like other pastors on the staff, men like other pastors here in our community. They were good men, but listen, they were not willing to embrace the sacrifice that it takes to see change occur. They were good men, but not willing to do what it takes to see a difference happen. And I just want to let you know, when it comes to the greatest of all times, when it comes to things of greatness, when it comes to our lives making a difference, when it comes to something of significance, history doesn't remember the ones who held on to the status quo. History doesn't remember the ones who stood for just going a long life just as it's always went, hoping that change will begin to take place sometime on its own. History doesn't remember that. Listen, history remembers the radical revolutionaries. History remembers the impassioned patriots, the fiery-eyed zealots. Isn't that the truth? When it comes down to it, history remembers the compulsive creators who invented what changed the world as we know it, not so much because of their genius, but more because of their habit to never quit trying to make something better, even in the face of adversity. History, when it comes down to it, it remembers the Gandhis and the Patrick Hendrys and the Edisons. And, and yes, history remembers Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend. One who, by his dedication and sacrifice, generations were inspired to believe that our country could be a place truly of liberty and justice for all. Can you give God some praise up in here this morning? Amen. I've been sick all week, been excited to preach, and wasn't going to miss this day. And so I'm going to stick to my notes a lot today so I can keep my brain straight. Come on, amen? 
But listen, I want to tell you about these eight clergymen. These eight clergymen, they hoped that time and the court system would eventually bring change. That's what they hoped for, that that time, if you look at their proclamation, their letter is hoping, hey, let's hold on. Let's meet this change out in the court system. Let's, let's, over time, it's going to get better, Martin. That's what's going to happen. Just hold on. But listen, time doesn't necessarily make change. It just doesn't. Change comes from daily dedication and sacrifice. Hope is never, never enough alone. It isn't. It just isn't. I I love hope. We're a church of hope. Everyone needs a story of of hope. We say that all the time around here. But when it comes down to it, hope is never enough. Hope is not a strategy in and of itself. The start of the year is a year, this time where we always get filled with hope. We always get excited about what's going to change. We always get excited about it being a better year. How many's hoping for a better year? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm hoping today to give you a little bit more strategies to seeing that hope manifest. I hope this year will be better. Every one of us feel that. You may say, I hope I get my health back in 2018. I hope maybe I get my honey back. I don't know what's going on in your life. In 2018, maybe your hope is that you can break free from addiction. And that's your hope, that you'll break free from addiction in 2018. Maybe that you get your finances in order. And that's your hope that this year you'll get your finances finally in order. But here's the thing, listen, you you need hope. Yes, you do. Discouragement will come if you don't have hope. You need hope, but you have to have habits. Can I say it one more time? You need hope, but you have to have habits. You have to have a daily sacrifice, a daily dedication, something to where you go, I know I want change to take place, but if I'm going to see change take place, what am I doing right now that's going to make a difference in my life? What am I doing right now that's going to um, 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 lead to the change that I have a hope, I have a hope for? And in this letter, to the Birmingham, letter, letter from the Birmingham jail, man, you got to go read that sometime. The whole letter is incredible. I'll have a few excerpts in this today. But these were eight amazing men who wanted to see change, but they weren't willing to do what it takes to get away from the status quo. And I just believe that, that y'all don't need to be status quo people. Come on. I'm serious. I, I don't feel that we should have status quo lives. I don't feel that we should have status quo vision. I don't think that you've had marriages that are just decent. You ought to have good marriages. Can't get your hands off each other. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm sick. Just trust me. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not, I'm still low-grade fever, I think, still. But no, you shouldn't have just mediocre finances that, that the, the, the cards are ruling you rather than you reigning over them. Next week, I'm going to be talking about ruling and reigning in life, you know. And so we should, no, no, we should not have that status quo. But it takes daily sacrifice, daily dedication to see hope manifest. We can't just have a desire to see change without daily action. You need hope. Without good habits, you'll always fall short of your hope. You know, think about an athlete, you know. The athlete may have the hope of, of being a gold medalist in the Olympics. But without daily activity in the gym, that ain't ever happening. I am never winning a gold medal in Anything physical, you know what I'm saying? You know, maybe a young person in the room, you have a hope to be a doctor someday. That's awesome, young man, young woman, you know. But without daily habit of study, you'll never be Dr. Blake. We call him Dr. Feelgood around here. No, we don't. You look at me like, what in the world? 
He's awesome, man. He's, he's, he is Dr. Hype, though. We do call him Dr. Hype back in the kids' ministry. He brings the energy. But, you know, you'll never be Dr. Blake if you don't, you know, apply yourself. To, it was hard, wasn't it? Daily discipline, daily habits of study, daily where you didn't want to, but you had to, right? Good, because I want my doctors to have studied, amen? <laughs> you know, maybe for you, it's the idea of being a couple that wants to grow old together, you know, man, you have the hope of sitting on a porch at 50 years plus of marriage, you know, swinging and just enjoying your time together. I mean, maybe that's your desire, but that'll never happen without a daily sacrifice saying, I'm going to live in such a way that puts a habit that says, I'm going to put my spouse before myself. I'm going to put her needs before my needs. Or for you, maybe you say his needs before your needs and such. Amen. And so hope is wonderful, but without habits, there's a slim chance of ever seeing those things manifest. In order to walk in the great life that God has for us, we have to have hope, but we also have to have habits. One of my favorite passages of scripture that speaks of transformation in a life is in Romans chapter 12. And in verse 1 in the um, um, New King James Version, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That we present our bodies as offerings to the Lord. A spiritual sacrifice. And in doing so, we begin to see transformation take place. I feel like in this scripture, it, it, it presupposes that this submission of our daily lives literally is the submission of our daily lives. It's a submission of our life each and every day. A renewed commitment to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. And the decisions we make and the actions we have and so on. And so what I want us to do is I want to look at this scripture a little deeper today, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, and I want us to stand to our feet as we look at the book. How many ever read the scriptures out of the Message Bible, okay? And so it takes a little different slant on things, and sometimes what's so familiar, it defamiliarizes it and just brings a fresh look to you. And so sometimes it's nice in your devotional life to read a different passage in a different kind of translation. And, um, and for me, I'll read at times the message in my devotional life just, just as a devotional thing. Again, not for study, you know, but for devotion. And in doing so, I came across this scripture, <coughs> and it's just so appropriate for the start of our year and where the Lord has taken us. Let's look what it says. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Isn't that a good place to start? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That hope you're looking for. I want to be different in 2018. I want my marriage to be different in 2018. I want my finances to be different, my health to be different. Whatever it is, that change that you are looking for, you will be changed. The, other, the older translations say transformed. You will have this transformation take place in your life from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and respond quickly to it. Unlike the culture, so there's always the status quo. There's always those fighting against God's best. 
There's always those that will not have the label of the greatest of all time in their life, you know? Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. And he develops well-formed, and I love how this sounds, he develops well-formed maturity in you. Welcome to 2018, the year of deeper. Come on, amen? Amen, I'm telling you right now, he develops well-formed maturity. Father, right now, over the next few minutes, we invite your presence, we invite your word to inspire us toward well-formed maturity. Lord God, we understand and know there's a responsibility on our part to walk out what you call us to walk out, to live how you've called us to live, and in 2018, we commit our hearts to go deeper toward well-formed maturity in the name of Jesus. Everybody shout, amen. Amen. You can have your seat. And as I do, as my custom, I love to take that passage and start to break it down. Can we break it down a little bit? The first point, the first thing that I see in this scripture is take your life, your everyday life. It says you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, all that, and place it before God as an offering. That first thing is take your life every day and place it before God as an offering. It is not your life to live. Can I say it one more time? Your life no longer is your life to live. When we come to faith in Christ, we live in him. We move in him. Scripture says we have our being in him. In Christ, we live. In Christ is our hope of glory. In Christ, and that's a good place to be. Because hard times will come. Difficult days will be ahead when you're trying to establish new habits. When you're trying to establish change, things happen. We see in history, people got beat down. We saw in history, people got sprayed on by hoses. We saw in history, dogs got sicked on people. When change starts to be, uh, come to, to pass, it comes with adversity. It comes, it's difficult and it's tough. You want to be found in Jesus if you're trying to establish new habits. Amen? And so every day, everything about our lives, we present them to God as a living sacrifice. We live a life of sacrifice. Why? Let me say it this way. We live a life of sacrifice for something of greater value. I I give up this today. I lay my everyday life before God today. These are what I want to do. This is the choices I have. This is what I want to experience. But God, I know it's not best. So I choose daily to lay that down before you as a sacrifice for something of greater greater value. I was dealing with a fellow just recently who needs a life change desperately. And he continues to choose and continues to choose and continues to choose something of lesser value. When God is offering in his everyday life, make this choice and find this value. Or you can choose this and lose it all. And that's stinking close to losing it all. To the enemy winning over his heart and him missing all of God's best. Why? Because in the moment he won't take his life and lay it as an offering before God. Man, I'm encouraged that that man is walking and striving and pushing and not giving up in the fight, and he's going to win in the name of Jesus. Amen? But that win's not going to come months down the road. That win's going to come every day with one choice as he lays his life down as an offering to the Lord in that moment, as he lays his life down in that decision. And it's the same way with you. In that moment, recognizing that the life that you live is not yours, and we lay it before God as a sacrifice for something greater. And I want to challenge you to live sacrificially today so that you can embrace something greater tomorrow. Listen to this letter, the letter from the Birmingham jail. I'm just going to have a few excerpts throughout this. 
And you may say, Pastor, I don't know if this pertains. It does. Just listen to this. Open your heart, okay? It says this. You deplore the demonstrations that are presently taking place in Birmingham. This is what Martin writes. He says, but I'm sorry that your statement did not express a similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. I'm sure that each of you would want to go beyond the superficial social analyst who looks merely at effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. It's easier just to look from the outside and not look to the inside. I would not hesitate to say that it is unfortunate that so-called demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham at this time, but I would say in more emphatic terms that it's even more unfortunate that the white power structure of the city left the Negro community with no other alternative. Change had to take place. Sirs, eight wonderful, amazing clergymen, live your everyday life in such a way that you lay it as an offering before the Lord. Live your everyday life in such a way that the sacrifices are made to see the change for justice for all that should take place is what he's saying. But instead, you were satisfied with the status quo. Instead, you were satisfied being a social analyst from the outside, saying, that should not happen. This is a shame. Let's do this differently. But differently wasn't working. Amen? These eight clergymen were not willing to do something with their everyday lives that would bring about that necessary change. And it was so important for that to happen. Same way with you. What are you going to do in your everyday life as you lay your lives as an offering before the Lord? That's a sacrifice. That's going to be difficult. There's going to come issues and challenges and hardships and struggles. You know, you, you may be going through uh, marriage issues and it's counseling that you need to go to. Man, I don't know about you guys. Counseling is no fun. It's just not. It's not fun to do and it's not fun to be in, you know. I remember going, hoping that they would tell Amy it was all, everything was her. This is all on you, woman. And they didn't say that. There was stuff that both of us were going through, you know, her more than me. No, but still, it's not easy, but that everyday life, God, I'm going to lay my life as a sacrifice before you, as an offering. You know, that, that's really the center of it all. The love of God. I love you, Lord, enough. I'm going to lay my life down before you. Now, as you start to do that, it's going to get difficult. And the scripture continues. And I love this because this actually helps us to know what we need to do in the midst of seeing this change manifest in our lives. It says, number two, this is the second point, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. Watch this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Let me stop there. Every one of us in this room has culture. Okay, this isn't just a social conversation about, you know, what happened in the 60s. No, no, I'm, t- I'm talking about us. You know, every single one of us has a culture in our lives. And here in this passage, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Fit into it without even thinking about what you're eating. Think, fit into it without thinking about what you're spending. Fit into it without even thinking about how you talk to your wife, you know. There's times where it blows my mind with such disrespect Couples talk to each other. You know what I mean? That's a culture. Oh, it's just, it's just our fun. It's just how we do. Well, I, I, I get that, but you can see an underlying pain there, you know? I, I, think, I think it was Jared once that said, sarcasm is angry, anger's ugly cousin, you know? And if that's the case, I'm an angry, angry man. <laughs> <coughs> But that's a 
culture. You know, so I, I want to I challenge you to look at it that way. Look at it like, what culture do I have? What is the culture that I have? And in that culture, is it God-honoring? In that culture, is it the best? Is it what God wants for me? Or is it just status quo? Whatever that, that is in your life that you're going, God, I want to see change this year. I don't want to hype this month. I'm just being honest. I told you last week. It's not a year of acceleration. God's bringing your quick victory. Hallelujah. It's not. It's a year of well-formed maturity. God's going to take you deeper. And God's going to shift your personal culture. Man, you were quick at one time, man, just to pull that wallet out, take that credit card out, charge it, you know. But that culture's changing. That culture's changing. That's one of my kids. That's awesome. I like it when I can... No, it's not. I'm kidding. Actually, that was pretty neat. Yesterday, Aubie had a car repair, and, and it was like over $400. And um, she took care of that herself. Woohoo! Parent win right there. I'm telling you, I'm living large. <laughs> it was awesome, man. As adults, getting real like Christmas presents from your kids. This adult thing is awesome. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. So when it comes down to it, <laughs> this idea of culture, watch what it says, though. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, so here's the contrast to how we counteract culture that's not God-honoring. It says, instead, fix your attention on God. And I think the reason why that's the contrast is because you put your attention on God and what God wants, everything else pales in comparison. If I look at God and what God wants, everything that I desire just pales. I'm not saying that those desires aren't godly because he'll give me desires. But those that aren't his desires for me, they just pale in comparison to, to who he is and what he desires to do. And so here in the situation, that second part is just to fix your attention on God. In the middle of your situations, you're trying to develop that good habit. Realize that all those things, developing all those good habits... Listen, there's spiritual worship to the Lord. Do you know that? It's not just the way you talk to your wife is a social thing. It's a spiritual thing. The way you communicate to your workmate. If you have a habit of gossip, if you have a habit of always just backbiting and, 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 and such or stirring things up, whatever it might be, the way you do that, it's not just a social change, it's a spiritual change. It's an act of worship. Every single thing we do in life centers around the love of God. Our expression of love to God is what? Worship. Amen? It's all worship. Every, that's all we are. We are worshipful beings, period. Some of us worship things that we shouldn't worship. But we're worshipful beings. That's what we are. And isn't really habits, when you think about it, empowered by what we worship? They're lent toward what we worship. They're empowered by what we worship. Habits and worship really go hand in, in hand. And so in this here, it's telling us that we need to get our worship upon the Lord. We need to develop those good habits, but see all those actions as worship to, to the Lord. The way we're helping you do that as a church starts tomorrow. That's the reason why we're doing this fast. Every year, we want the beginning of our year to be able to have a habit, a practice, a spiritual offering to the Lord, a spiritual discipline of sacrifice, where we say for three weeks, 21 days, we're choosing to live life differently. We're choosing to put something first and foremost in our life that causes us to think about God and the things of God 
And so with that, fasting does that. As you take food away, something greater comes into play, you know? As you take that food away, your mind starts to fill with the thoughts of what God is doing and who God is and what God desires and where you're missing it. And, and every time that stomach pangs, how many get stomach pangs when you, pangs, P-A-N-G. How many get P-A-I-N, you know, pains? I mean, oh, I'm dying, you know? But when that happens, it's a reminder that you're not the center of everything. It's a reminder that our attention over the next few weeks is fixed upon God and God alone. And it does something powerful in setting our hearts to be ready for the open door of what God has for us. The thing that God is trying to do in us and, and through us. And so as a congregation, starting tomorrow, we'll go into a three-week fast. What might that look like for you? I don't know. It might be one meal a day. You know, it might be, that's called a partial fast. It might be the kind of a fast, a selective fast where you, you choose to eat only vegetables, you know. Some of you are vegetarians, so I would encourage you to stop eating vegetables, eat meat. <laughs> just a sacrifice, that's all, just a sacrifice to the Lord. But whatever it might be, you know, for you, it may, like I said, be one meal, it may be vegetables, it, it may be <clears throat> um, for you that, that you are taking away um, um, all food, but liquids, you'll eat, drink juice, you know, some of you might just be water, some of you might be coffee, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, but it's something with food, and, and there was years ago where we would challenge everybody and say, yeah, if you just give up social media, that's fine too, you know, I think that's an additional thing, if you want to give up social media, it's a great way to focus your mind over the next few weeks on the things of God, but biblically a fast, you know, is food, I mean, it's the absence of food, and so we want to encourage everyone at least, if it's just a meal, or if it's something with food, that you're doing. That way the whole congregation, all of us at some point, our stomachs will pang in the day and we'll all be together in this, this journey of fasting over the next three weeks. And so, but that's one of those ways we can fix our attention on the Lord is through fasting. Last year, the Lord laid in my heart to, to begin to fast two days a week, you know. It's something just to cause your mind to be pulled back into what's important in life and having our focus and attention on the Lord. And so that's going to help. And so that's February, that's January 15th tomorrow to February 4th. That's a Sunday. And we'll have communion together, and we'll break our fast together that morning with communion. And then you all can go and have your, whatever you're going to eat. Take it easy. You've been fasting for three weeks, right? But that'll happen on the 4th of February. And as Pastor Steph, Stephanie said, um, um, we'll have that 31st, that vision and worship night here at 7. That's part of the fasting experience. We want you all to be a part of that night. But basically what we're doing is we're, we're, we're wanting to just draw our attention and our focus on God during that time. Why is that so important? If you're trying to develop habit change in your life, you've got to focus in on God. Because he's going to be your help. Period. You, you can't do this alone. You're going to need help to develop habits, and you're going to need his help. And so I want you to be able to understand that's where our focus comes. Don't just try to fight this on your own. Fight this with him. But can I say something real clear? You know his help sometimes comes with skin on it. Let me say it one more time. His help sometimes comes with skin on it. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, on the 21st, next week, is Journey Group Connect. I'm, I'm telling you, I, there's things in my life I would not have got through spiritually, emotionally, physically without the help of my journey group guys. I'm just being honest. This isn't just something I go to and, and have my time of study with the word and prayer. Man, these guys, they, they keep me accountable. I keep them accountable. We're going through things. We need prayer. We're, it's, it's a, I do this because we text, you know. We just keep, keep, keep 
keep in contact. And man, it's, it's something like you just can't imagine. And that takes place in a church that's a growing church. And we are a growing church. It takes place in those small communities. Life change, I heard someone say once, doesn't happen in rows. Life change happens in circles. When you're hanging out in a living room or a coffee shop, something happens. God with skin on it gets involved. Does that make sense? So you are not alone. And can I just be real honest, though? I know how it is. Sometimes those who need it most are those that can't avail themselves of it. Like, it's, it's an emotional thing. I need this connection so bad, but I'm terrified. Man, I'm going to pray between now and next Sunday that God gives you boldness that's not your own. Fix your eyes on him this week. If that's you, if you're going, man, I know I need to be in a journey group, but the thought of it, the sheer thought of it, Pastor, terrifies me. I'm going to pray this week, fix your eyes on him, and let's ask for holy boldness that next Sunday when it's the journey group connect, that you'll just feel a, a boldness to connect. Does that make sense? You know, Because I do believe that God wants you to fix his attention, your attention on him, but sometimes he needs some skin on. And he uses his body, look to the right, look to the left, that's y'all. He uses his body to, to allow his ministry to flow into, into others. Can I go back to that letter one more time here, to back to the letter of Birmingham? Let me just read this. It says this, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted, devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with you in the methods of your direct action. And I agree, ridiculous violence. I, I understand that. We're not talking about that. At this time, these were peaceful protests, etc. And the thing is, this group of eight, they had a goal. They agreed with the hope. They knew the change had to take place. But when it came time, they weren't willing to readily recognize and respond to the thing at hand. For whatever reason, in the moment, they just weren't willing to do that. And that third thing, if we're going to see goals manifest, habits, or I'm sorry, goals, hope manifest, then we've got to be able to direct, have direct action. We've got to be able to quickly respond. Watch what it says. This is the third point. Recognize and respond quickly. Romans 12, 2, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Man, that's probably the biggest key to developing a good habit I've ever heard. And it's straight from the word. Readily recognize what he wants you to do and respond quickly. Everybody shout quickly. quickly. Shout quickly, more quickly. There you go. <laughs> Responding quickly. It, it, that, that quick response changes everything. To realize I need change, and here's an opportunity for change. You know, Let's say, for instance, it's i got to drink less coffee. You're going to wake up in the morning, and that coffee mug's going to be staring at you. Don't let that coffee mug be empty. Quickly fill it with water. <laughs> You'll feel like you're dying drinking it, but still, it's a quick response. There's just something about it. Maybe you have a habit of bitterness and holding resentment. And when you leave here today, the Lord starts to speak to your heart. It's 
resentment. It's bitterness. There's somebody that's offended you or you feel like you've offended somebody. There's some strife there. Guess what you should probably do? Develop a habit of responding quickly. Did this afternoon be a great time to fix that? You know? It's just, just that idea of, I sense this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to respond quickly. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to, in this situation, wait for the court system. No, no. We daily are going to respond quickly. We're going to recognize what he wants from us and quickly respond. I heard someone say one time, when is the right time to do dishes? Well, right after your wife tells you to. <laughs> I mean, it's just the idea of quick. I mean, it's like, this is, you, you're supposed to do this? You do it. Do it now. <clears throat> and I believe that there's some things that we can recognize that God wants from us. And, and, and if you haven't received that sheet last week, we had the, the rule of life, the rule of life or the habit of life, those things that we're trying to develop in our lives. And I can't tell you exactly what those things should look like, but we created a form. If you didn't get it last week, on your way out, the table outside this door, you can grab one. And on that form, it has these categories. And with it, I want you to be purposeful in developing some habits that you readily recognize and respond quickly to, okay? So, like, for instance, in the area of prayer, this area of devotion, I, this year is the year of deeper, the year of well-formed maturity, and I think it would be a great habit in that area to respond quickly in the area of daily scripture reading. How many, my phone's down there, how many has a cell phone? Hold your phone up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Everybody. There's one Neanderthal back there that doesn't have a cell phone. No, I'm kidding. No, everybody has a cell phone. Most of us have smartphones, you know. Um, and if you don't have a smartphone, it's really weird. There's this thing that's called a Bible that actually is printed. It's kind of, it's, it's novel. It's pretty amazing. Um, but no, most of us have phones. And I'm going to be honest, I don't have great vision, you know. I just don't. And so I've been enjoying doing my devotional time on my phone or my iPad because I pull up version and I've got my font set huge and my eyes don't get tired as I read these like gigantic, you know, refrigerator magnet sized fonts, you know, they're awesome. Um, but, but every day you can do a, a read through the Bible in one, one year thing. And, and it'll be a New Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, a Proverbs passage, and a Psalms passage. And when I said all that, you went, gosh, there's no way. I get that. And there may not be any way for you. I get that. Could, could you go to that same thing and click off, hey, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the Psalm passage and the Proverb passage. Well, pastor, I did that. I still don't have enough time. Okay, well, how about I'm going to read the Proverbs passage. And the Proverbs passages are kind of, a, a, kind of not pithy. They're very sage words of wisdom. But they're little excerpts. You could read one scripture or two and have something really meaty to think about all day long. And so, okay, pastor, I, I do the Proverbs, but I'm not even reading the whole chapter. I'm just reading two verses. Two verses. I bet you could do that. Amen? And so I want to challenge you to do that. This, this year, whatever it looks like for you, but daily, everybody say daily. Daily, daily scripture reading. Be in the word of God every day. Something, if it's just one verse, that you begin to meditate upon. The Bible says his word will not return void. You want people's counsel. You want preacher's advice. You want to listen to every worship song under the sun. Which is awesome. And it's thrilling. But nothing will transform you like the word of God. Nothing. There's books out there for information. But this is the one that's there for transformation. But it doesn't work if you don't put it put it in you. So I want to encourage you in that area. Another area when it comes to this quadrant of our life 
to readily recognize and respond quickly. You ready for this? If you're a Christ follower, that means you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you would call yourself a Christian, and you've never been baptized, you've already missed out on one of the greatest spiritual practices and habits that you should employ starting out early on in your faith. There, literally, there should never be a Christ follower, I'm just being honest, that professes faith in Christ that has never been baptized. And there's no shame if you haven't. It's just time to readily recognize and respond. Amen? And so I'm just going to tell you right now, on the 28th of this month, we're having baptism. What a great time during the season of fasting as we fix our eyes on God, as we live our everyday life for him and we lay it before him as an offering for us to realize, you know what, I have not responded in obedience to the word of God in the area of baptism and that public recognition of my faith. And so on the 28th, I have readily recognized and I'm going to respond quickly. Amen? And so the sign-up stuff's on the, the app that we have and all that good stuff. So that, that's that area. In the area of relationships, we've already talked about it. A great place to get started is a journey group. And if you're going, hey, all the journey groups that are out there, I don't like any of those people. <laughs> awesome. Start your own. With, uh, no problem, you know. And you, can, you, two, three, or four other people can not like everybody else altogether at the same time. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> but I am going to say that in relationships. I think that, that relationship, those journey group relationships over time, the richest relationships develop from it and life change develops from it. So I'm just, that's just one area. Readily recognize and respond quickly. Another area in the area of rest. Sabbath. Sabbath. And, and that's something that I've never done. I've had a day off, but I've never had a Sabbath. Never stop working, never stop taking a break. You guys, most of you know I have a second job. I help church planters, you know, about, it used to be 10 to 15 hours a week. Now as the church has grown, it's about 8 to 12 hours a week. But with that, I help planters. And so usually on the day off, you're doing things like that. You're checking on planters and such. And long story short, I started teaching my staff, and we used a book that we've been learning a lot of things about spiritual health and over since summertime and into the fall. And man, about three months ago, the Lord just convicted me. You don't Sabbath. Well, what would a Sabbath look like if you did Sabbath? And so for me, I figured out I can get to work at about 6, leave my house about 6 in the morning on Thursday, and work till about 12, 1 o'clock on Thursday, and then I can pull away. And from about 1 to about 12 the next day, I can just kind of Sabbath. And then from 12 until, until um, um, 7 or so on Friday night, come back into work and knock it out, you know. And then I work on Saturdays too because, again, I have a second job. But, man, that's awesome. I'm not working on my house, you know, and it's neat. When Amy says do something around the house, I'm Sabbathing. I'm just Sabbathing. No, she, she's really enjoyed it, and it's helped us. It's, it's giving mental health. So I don't know what that Sabbath might look like for you. And I know it may be difficult because many of you work, you know, two jobs too or three jobs or whatever. But I'm going to challenge you to find something to where a set amount of time, and it may not even be able to be 24 hours starting out, but a set amount of time where you are readily responding and resp quickly and saying, this amount of time, man, I'm shutting down. It's for family. It's for friends. It's for fellowship. It's for just maybe reading a book, going for a walk, you know. Etc. And then the final thing with work. I'm not going to talk about that too much this week. I'll talk about that in a couple weeks. 
But when it comes to work, just the shift in your mind that your daily activity laid as an offering before the Lord, as you fix your attention upon God and you do the habits that you have to do to create work in your life, to do the job that you have, that all those things, literally, you are doing them as unto the Lord. Who do you work for? You work for Jesus. And you're like, man, my, my boss is a woman. I don't work for Jesus. No, no, you work for Jesus. You're just employed by that woman. But you work for the Lord. When it comes down to it, every one of us, we're all ministers of the gospel working for the Lord. It's just some of us earn our living as doctors and electricians and IT guys and teachers and musicians. I think I might have said that. And doctors. I think I said that too. <laughs> so salesmen. That's a good one. And salesmen. But you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why is it so important to have a rule of life? Not just to go through life willy-nilly, but to truly do these things where you lay your life as an offering, you fix your eyes on God, you readily recognize and respond to what you need to do right now. Why is it so important to live embracing habits of good living? Because the fruit that comes from the good habits of good living is amazing. Romans 12, 2. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. That's the fruit brings the best, developing that well-formed maturity in your life. We're called to live lives of sacrifice. We're called to live lives that are well-formed in maturity, and that's difficult. That is actually, as you can see from Scripture, counter-cultural. And because it's countercultural, that's why it feels like a sacrifice. Whether it's socially countercultural or just the culture of your own life that you're trying to change, you're shifting culture. Culture doesn't shift easily. Culture shifts daily with decision after decision after decision laid before the Lord with your attention upon Him, readily responding to those short, quick little bursts of action in the moment. That shifts and changes culture. Habits are a change of life that are rooted in both small and large sacrifices. And it's difficult to change culture. It's sacrifice to change culture. And that's why it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice before the Lord. And when we do that, it's going to bring change. You're literally shifting your personal culture, which will shift and change your family culture, which will shift and change the culture of this church which will shift and change the culture of the people that we have contact with outside this church and change our community. But it takes sacrifice. It's difficult to do that. Unlike the culture around you. The culture around you is always trying to drag you down. The culture around you is always going less than God's best. But God's challenging us to rise up so that he can form well-formed maturity in you. When I say maturity, maturity it doesn't come quick, amen? Little daily changes, little daily things bring about maturity. Adelie, my oldest, is 21 years old today. 21 years old. Man, Amy's old. I can't believe that. And I can still picture in my mind like Arden's age when Amy and I used to clean together in Dr. B's dentist office. We'd be cleaning and there's the front room and She'd have worship music on, and she would be in there just worshiping and dancing and praising God. It was the coolest thing. And be able to walk in there. And now to see her last night at her party, her 21st party, and I'm just blown away. I mean, like, but that didn't happen overnight. There was, there was times where I definitely wanted her to grow up, you know. But I don't look at Arden. What's wrong with you? Grow up faster. Now, I call her my baby girl. 
I Arden, you're daddy's baby. I'm not a baby, I'm a big girl. She wants to grow up, I get that. I'm not rushing her, I'm daddy. Day to day, she'll be like Adelie someday and I'll be happy. Because she'll be paying for her own car payment too, like Auburn. You know? But I'm not rushing her, I'm daddy. God's not rushing you, you know? But it is difficult. I mean, it didn't happen quick. Don't think these changes of habit come easy. We see here that God develops well-formed maturity. That word develop, it's a difficult word. But I believe you have what it takes to allow God to develop you. If you'll lay your everyday life before him as an offering, if you'll fix your attention upon him, and when those things he shows you you need to do, do those things quickly. And the things you're not supposed to do, don't those things. Yes, I said don't those things. Don't those things quickly. Do something else, you know. Habits and good decisions are always put to a challenge before hope can be seen. They're always difficult. One final excerpt, and we'll close. I wish you had commended the Negro demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage. This is what he says. This is the last statement that he says to these eight pastors. I wish you would have commended them for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of the most inhumane provocation. One day, the South will recognize its real heroes. They will be the James Merediths, courageously and with a majestic sense of purpose, facing jeering and hostile mobs and the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer. They will be old, oppressed, battered Negro women, symbolized in a 72-year-old woman of Montgomery, Alabama, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride the segregated buses and responded to one who inquired about her tiredness with ungrammatical profundity. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. They will be young high school and college students, young ministers of the gospel, and a host of their elders courageously and nonviolently sitting in at lunch counters and willingly going to jail for conscience sake. One day the South will know that when these disheartened children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream and the most sacred values in our Judeo-Christian heritage. Wow. An American dream, a dream, a hope, a desired end, a goal. However you want to label it, having a hope is not enough. <coughs> but having a hope that's followed by actions, that create habits, man, that is a hope worth living every time. It's worth it. It's worth it. And here's what I believe. I really do. I, I want you in your minds to begin to think, what are those things in your life that God's trying to see change take place in you? What are those things? It could be negative speech. And the way you speak over yourself. I'm going to talk about this next week. And the way you speak over yourself. All this negativity, negativity, negativity. God may be trying to have you respond readily and quickly to speak life. To speak that word of life over yourself. I don't know what it might be. But here's what I do believe. I believe if you'll take these areas... And you'll take that sheet of paper and you'll go this week in prayer and seek God. God, show me what I need to have on this sheet of paper in these four areas. All centered around, this is my love for you, God. I'm laying my life, my everyday life as worship to you. I'm fixing my attention upon you. Now, God, show me what I need to readily recognize and respond to. And then write that down on there. 
write that down and begin to practice those things out. You know what I believe? I believe a year from now, we won't even recognize who you are. A year from now, fresh victory, new life changes, things that you never thought possible manifesting in your life, dreams taking place, not just because you had a hope, but because you had the habits that would allow those hopes to be seen. Father, right now, as we have those things in our mind, give us strength and courage as we fix our attention upon you. Give us strength and courage to live every day the hopes that you have through living out those little habits readily and quickly responding to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.com. Dot TV.